Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be the measure of the Spirit. Let's begin today in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in the 18th verse, it says, But as God is true, our word toward you is not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, under the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God, who hath also sealed us, and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Verse 22 told us, Who have also sealed us, and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Last week, we looked at the seal of the Holy Spirit. Today, we need to look at another aspect of it. We only find the word earnest used three times in Scripture. It's also used in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, which tell us, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of his glory. The third and last place that it's used is 2 Corinthians 5 and 5, which says, now he that have wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also have given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. We find here that the earnest of the Spirit is the seal of the Spirit. They're one and the same. We have to look more closely at the role of the seal as the earnest. The first thing we have to ask ourselves is what is an earnest? Noah Webster defined it as first fruits, that which is in advance and gives promise of something to come. Early fruit may be an earnest of fruit to follow. The first success may be an earnest of future success. The Christian's peace of mind in this life is an earnest of future peace and happiness. Hence, earnest and earnest money is a first deposit, giving promise or assurance of full payment. When we were born again, and the Lord put His Holy Spirit within us to dwell within our spirit, we were given the down payment. We were given the first installment with the promise of future payment in full. Romans chapter 8 verses 22 to 23 tells, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. We know that we had the first fruits. We know that the Holy Spirit is right now dwelling within us. But that fact alone isn't enough. Now that He's there, we need to grow deeper in our relationship with Him. We need to pursue Him and His gifts. We need to allow Him to move and operate freely in our lives. We shouldn't stop at just the earnest payment. It's true that we won't experience the fullness of the payment until we get to heaven. Our fallen human nature gets in the way of that. The perfect fullness of the Spirit can only manifest in a perfect state. But we can increasingly see more and more of the Spirit's operation in our lives as we pursue Him. 1 Corinthians 13 and 12 says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Although we can only see in part, that should never stop us from seeking after more. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 to 10 say, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. 
but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Spirit reveals to us the deep things of God. And since that's the case, we should want to go deeper and deeper with the Spirit. We shouldn't be content with just what we have now, the surface level. We should have an insatiable desire to have more. Knowing and understanding the earnest of the Spirit gives us earnestness in our pursuit. Romans chapter 8 and verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 10 to 12 in the English Standard Version tells, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Just as we saw last week, the earnest of the Spirit, as the seal of the Holy Spirit, is inextricably linked with faith. They go hand in hand. It takes faith, the inworking of God's divine persuasion, the persuasion of His will, to overcome our doubt or hesitancy about the coming fulfillment of the promises of God. Faith looks beyond what we see in the natural. It looks beyond all the reasons that the enemy or a carnal mind try to give us of why God won't keep His promise. We know that none of those are true. Philippians 1 and 6 tells us, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We can and should be confident in this fact. There's no reason at all to doubt. It would be so opposed to all that we know to be true of his character if he didn't keep a promise, that we know that that could never happen. He's not a man that he should lie. He keeps his word always. So how do we go deeper? The two ways that we just saw are faith and patience. That's how we obtain the promise. That's how we move beyond the first fruits and go deeper. Before we look more closely at that, though, we had to ask ourselves, how deep can we actually go? John 3 and 34, where John the Baptist is speaking of Jesus, gives us some insight into this. John 3 and 34 says, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The second half in the ESV says, For he gives the Spirit without measure. The second half in the Amplified Bible says, For God gives the gift of the Spirit without measure, generously and boundlessly. He gives the Spirit without measure, generously and without any bounds. That means infinitely. That means eternally. And that means that we can have as much of the Spirit as we want in this life. And even when we get as much of Him as we could possibly desire in this life, there's still an infinite depth to Him that we haven't even scratched the surface of yet. The wording of this, without measure, is very important, especially when considering who John the Baptist was speaking to here. He was speaking to the Jews. He used this specific wording for a reason. The term by measure and the sense of limitation appeared very frequently in the rabbinical writings of the Jews. The rabbis would apply the phrase to the prophets and teachers, saying that the Spirit dwelt on the prophets only in a certain measure. We know that in the Old Testament, it always says that the Spirit was upon people, and in the New Testament, that the Spirit is now within people. That's a major difference. Upon implies for a limited time or scope. We even find this way of thinking with Elijah and Elisha. In 2 Kings 2 and 9 it says, and it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee, before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. The phrase double portion is more closely translated as two portions. 
The fact that he put a specific number to it implies that they saw the spirit as being upon people in certain measures, not in an infinite amount. Nor did Elijah reprimand him, which shows that he fought the same way. So this wording would seem very strange to the Jews. This was something new, something unheard of. Now the Spirit not only came to dwell within men, but He came to be within them without measure. In John 3 and 34, it's referring to Jesus, so the skeptic may be quick to point out that it's referring to Him alone and not all believers, and that's true. But we must remember that it's Christ that dwells within us. And if He has the Spirit without measure, and we have Him within us, that means that we have the same blessing in our spirit. The most incredible part of that blessing is that it changes everything. One of the biggest changes is that it can make you more than just a vessel. A vessel is an object designed to hold a specific amount and no more. But when we have the Spirit in operation within us, without measure, we go beyond that. We become a fountain for the Spirit to operate within us, an unending supply, an ever-flowing stream, just like the cruise of oil that wouldn't fail. John 7 and 38 says, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That happens by allowing the Spirit to flow and operate through you. That doesn't mean that we're not a vessel. It simply means that we're beyond a vessel. But we have to want to be used in that way, which brings us to what we have to look at next. Matthew 7 and 2 tells us, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. That's a spiritual law that works with whatever it's applied to, even the operation of the Spirit in our lives. We have to ask ourselves how we're measuring, because our answer will make all the difference. If we're measuring in a 30-fold way, that's what we'll get. We'll get just enough, just the spiritual sustenance that we need to survive. If we measure in a 60-fold way, we'll have some extra left over. We'll go a little deeper, go a little further into the things of God. But if we measure in a hundredfold way, we open ourselves up to a pursuit of the Holy Spirit that's continuous, bringing us increasingly deeper into the things of God. We have the earnest, but what do we want from that earnest? Are we content to just stay at that point, never progressing? Are we content with just progressing a little bit? Or do we want real, substantial, deep progress where we truly get to know God in an intimate way? What profit, what interest, what return do you expect from the earnest payment? The choice is ours to make. No one else can or will make it for you. Matthew 13 and 8 tells us, But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. The measure you use matters. It matters a lot. We all want to be Christians who bear abundant fruit, and the measure you use has a direct correlation to that. So how do we go deeper with the Spirit? How do we search for Him? Luke 8 and 11, referring to the same parable, says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The word of God is how you reach after more of God. The more we study the word, the more time, effort, and energy we put into truly learning and knowing and doing the word, the more of a change and an effect we'll see in our life. The light of the word will illuminate the Spirit's influence in our daily life, and we'll have more clarity about discerning the Spirit's voice, and we'll have the desire to follow His guidance. The word produces faith in us. Hebrews 6 and 12 told us earlier that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We can't succumb to the temptation to be slothful in our desire for more of God or desire to know and do the word for ourselves. Because the more we have of the word, the more faith will grow. We know that Romans 10 and 17 tells us, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It works proportionally.
Romans 12 and 3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. What's the measure of our faith? If we can find that out, we'll know what measure we use towards the spirits working in our life, because they're directly connected. How much do we trust the Holy Spirit? How much will we let Him have of our life? Do we surrender all to Him, or do we try to keep part of ourselves back? How much room are we willing to give Him to work, and how much are we really willing to follow? These are hard questions, and sometimes we may find that the answers aren't those that we know that they should be. But if that's the case, it's nothing to be discouraged about. That's only motivation to change our measure, to start measuring in a hundredfold way, looking forward expecting a hundredfold return on the earnest payment, not just in the next life, but also in this life here and now. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in the 11th verse says, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the sight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God for the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. Verse 13 told us, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's the Lord's desire for us to know Him intimately, so we have to see what specifically holds us back from knowing Him and His Spirit in this way. When we overcome these roadblocks, the Spirit can move freely, and the work of the Spirit will be continually manifesting in new and more powerful ways in our life. The first one we find in verse 14, which says, That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the sight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The first roadblock is that of not having a firm foundation. The greatest way to protect ourselves from falling for the lies and deceptions of the enemy, the greatest way to protect ourselves from being misled by false doctrines, is to know the word for ourselves. The better we know the truth, the more obvious lies will become. This is how we make our foundation firm. That way, just like the house that was built on the rock in the parable, we'll be able to make it through the storm of lies and confusion that rages all around us in this world. We'll be able to hold on to the truth without letting go, because we're not receiving truth through the mediator of a man. We're getting it directly from the Lord, who is himself truth. False doctrines fester and spread where there's a lack of understanding. Ignorance is their fertile soil. But when we know and stand on the truth, they won't be able to even take root. When we plant the seed of the word in our open and willing hearts, when we trust the Spirit to illuminate our minds so that we can better understand it, and when we write it upon the tables of our heart, 
The word will be free to grow unimpeded and take deeper and deeper root in our spirit. Not only does knowing the word protect us from the lies of the enemy, it also helps us to know God better. The next thing we find in verse 15, it told us, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him into all lengths, which is the head, even Christ. We're meant to mature. That's God's purpose for us, which is another reason that we don't want to just stop at the first fruits. We want more. We'll never become mature in the faith if we're afraid of the truth or afraid of standing up for the truth. Without truth, we have nothing. We need to hold on to it at all costs. We find truth in God. All things that are true and good are only an extension of Himself or the work of His hands. He's recorded the truth permanently in His Word. And if it's our desire to know truth, we need to know the Word. In order to be able to speak the truth, we first need to know it. And we can't know it if we don't study it for ourselves. It's not enough to just hear it from someone else, no matter how great of a person they may be. We need to know it for ourselves, because there will come a time, and probably very many times, when we need to speak the truth, and there's no one else around who we can use as a crutch to support our lack of knowledge. 1 Peter 3 and 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We can't do that without knowing the word. We also need to speak it in love. We should never speak the truth in a demeaning or degrading way. We should never speak it in harshness or cruelty. We should speak it in love, with a spirit of gentleness, allowing God to work on their heart to soften and warm it, just like we saw last week. That allows them to become open to change, so that the Holy Spirit can move in their life and impress Himself upon them. The third thing we have to look at, we find in verse 18. It says, Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from God, through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. This is another obstacle that many people face today. They're spiritually blind. They're trapped in the darkness of ignorance. Only Jesus can heal a man's spiritual blindness, and it's by coming to Him that we can receive our sight. But still, even after we receive the ability to spiritually see, we still need light. The sense of sight means nothing without light. It's by light that we perceive what's around us, and it's through the light of the Word that we perceive the spiritual realities around us, and that we perceive the Spirit's work and manifestation in our minds and hearts, and that we see His influence in our life and in the lives of those around us. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's the Word that not only gives us the light to inform our understanding, it's also the Word that draws us closer to the Lord. It's a separation from it that alienates us from Him and His will and keeps us trapped in darkness. The fourth and last thing that we need to look at, we find in verse 19. It says, Who being past feeling have given themselves unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. This is like what we looked at last week with those who had their conscience seared with a hot iron. Their past feeling, having no sensitivity to spiritual things. The way that we prevent this from ever happening is by staying in the Word. Staying in the Word is preventative maintenance for our life. It prevents us from going off course. It prevents us from sliding backwards towards our old ways. And it prevents us from falling for the lies and perversions of the enemy. The Word is our safeguard. The Word is the guardrail and the highway of life. If we want to know the Spirit more intimately, if we want a hundredfold measure the Spirit's operation in our life, then we have to seek after Him in the Word with the same measure, with the same continuous and ongoing effort and exertion. It may cost time, it may take a lot of energy, and it may be a real sacrifice, but nothing that we ever lose in this life in the pursuit of God is worth anything compared to what we get in return. 
When we have God, we find everything that we could ever need or want in Him. We need to put our faith in Him and in His Word and wait on the Lord with patient expectancy, trusting that the same God who gave us the earnest of His Spirit will grant us the blessing and the full inheritance of His promises. Let's close in prayer. Lord, today we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You put the seal of Your Holy Spirit within our heart, that You gave us the earnest of the Spirit, the first fruits, the down payment. Lord, today we make our desire known that we don't want to measure with a 30-fold measure. We don't want to measure with a 60-fold measure. We want to measure with a 100-fold measure. We expect a continuous, never-ending return. Lord, today we ask for the strength and the wisdom to go into your Word, to read it, and to learn it, and to know it for ourselves, and not only to know it, but to put it into action in our daily lives. Lord, we don't want to just be hearers of the Word. We want to be doers also. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit within us helps us to be doers. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word to be a light under our path and a lamp under our feet. Lord, today we ask that your Holy Spirit illuminates our minds so that when we read the word, we can truly comprehend it. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing right now, and all the great, incredible, amazing things that you have set apart for us as your people. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want a hundredfold return and to have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for His forgiveness. Then you trust that you're forgiven and you ask for His free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. Thank you for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you want even more of the Kingsword, you can go to our YouTube page at Kingsword Ministry, visit our TikTok page at Kingsword Bible, and visit our Instagram page at Kingsword Bible Study. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we'll see you next week as we continue to study the Kingsword together.